You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Let's take our Bibles and let's go to the book of Jeremiah. And we're going to try to finish uh, where we left off last Wednesday. Now, this is an important question. Okay, and I need an answer on this because this is going to this is going to help you if you answer correctly. But when I have a long, lengthy Bible study, aren't you thankful when I cut it off and say we're going to finish next week? Now this is your opportunity. There's there's a yes from the pastor's wife. There's somebody that knows. But uh, we didn't finish last week, and the reason we didn't finish last week was because I had more than I could say in one Wednesday night, but uh, I think we'll finish tonight. If we don't finish tonight, since only three of you said yes, you three can be dismissed, and the rest of you, you will stay till we're done, we'll lock the door. No, no, we won't do that, but Jeremiah 47 and 48 is where we picked up, uh, where we started last week, and we'll do a little review, we'll get right into it. We're talking about some lessons from the enemies of God's people. Remember the illustration I gave last week, that old commercial when I was a kid uh, with the crash dummies, and right, they'd show all the reasons why you should wear your seatbelt, because they were showing all the damage done to these crash dummies, and the, the, the commercial was you could learn a lot from a dummy. Well, I want to say this, we can learn a lot if we will just watch the people who fight against God, the people that get away from God, the people that reject God, we can learn a lot about what not to do. And we saw the enemies of God's people in chapter uh, Jeremiah 47, we saw God's judgment on the Philistines. They were the enemies of God's people. Of course, one of the the most famous uh, of the Philistines was Goliath. And of course, there was a long history there, even with uh, Samson. I was talking to Brother Bab this week, and he was telling me, but he said that. He said, well, it's amazing to think about all the, the things that the Philistines did over the years to God's people. We saw the judgment on the Philistines, and we said that uh, we saw some lessons. One, the responsibility of parents, how that they left their children behind. They just, they, they abandoned their children, and boy, help, uh, Lord, help us today when we see that happening. We saw, number two, the judgment of God. We saw the sword of the Lord was at work and in judging. Number three, we saw peace. And verse seven, that you won't have peace until you get right with God. And by the way, I pray tonight that you will not get peace until you get right with God. I pray that if you're here tonight or you're listening to the service tonight on the radio or if you're watching uh, online and you're not saved, I hope you don't get any rest. I hope you don't have any peace until you get saved. What good does it, is it to do to have peace on earth and to spend eternity in a place called hell? No, I want you to get it settled and there is no peace until you get right with God. We saw number four, the fact that God hears the cries of the children. That's found in Jeremiah 48, four. God heard the cries of the little ones from Moab. We saw the Philistines, we saw the, the, the Moabites, and then we saw in uh, verse 7, you don't trust your treasures. Number 6, we said, be honest in the work of God, and uh, cursed is he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully. Jeremiah 48, 10. We said verse number 11, and this is where we left off, and I'll try to jump in here. Jeremiah 48, and verse number 11, the Bible says, 
Moab hath been at ease from his youth, and he hath settled on his lees, and hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel, neither hath he gone into captivity. Therefore his taste remained in him, and his scent is not changed. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send unto him wanderers that shall cause him to wander and shall empty his vessels and break their bottles. Lord, I pray that you would please speak to our hearts and help us as we look at your word and as we try to learn some lessons, uh, Lord, that we can learn from the enemies of God's people, the enemies of you. And Lord, help us to learn uh, what not to do. I pray that we would see some things in our own lives that we could and should change, and I pray you'd help us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Number seven is where we'll pick up tonight. It's where we left off last week. Number seven, we said, don't become proud and or lazy. That's what happened to Moab. Moab, the Bible says, that they were at ease from their youth. Now, I'll tell you, we're living in a society, and I thank the Lord for our teens. We've got some wonderful teens, and I thank the Lord for what you're doing as parents. I thank the Lord for what our youth pastor's doing and Sunday school teachers and workers and Christian school teachers. But young people have a tendency today to be lazy. And by the way, had I not had a mom and a dad that taught me how to work, I'd be the same way and so would you probably. But somebody came along in your life and somebody taught you how to work and somebody taught you the importance of not being lazy. Well, Moab, they were just taking it easy. The Bible tells us that they were proud. The Bible tells us that they uh, felt like nothing could ever touch them. I want to tell you, in the Christian life, don't get proud. Pride goeth before what? Destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. Do not become proud. But here's the problem. It's human nature, isn't it? That's why God said, these six things doth the Lord hate, seven are an abomination. First thing on the list is a proud look. Because I think it happens to all of us. And boy, right when you, right when you think you've got it figured out, guess what? <laughs> you blew it. Yeah, I think, I'm, I think I'm pretty humble. Well, you've just admitted to us you're not. You know, that's your pride speaking. But can I tell you, don't become proud in the Christian life. Maybe it'd be good like that song the lady sang, just to remember where you used to be before God saved you. Just think about where you would be today were it not for the mercy of God. I want to tell you all the people that are out on the streets and all the people, the drunks and the drug addicts and all the criminals and all the people in the jails, you know what separates us from them? One thing, it's the grace of God. The grace of God is what made the difference in your life and mine. It's certainly not because of us. Uh, we're saved by grace through faith, and it's not of works, lest any man should boast. We've got nothing to boast about. It's all because of God. We ought to be careful for pride and, and don't become lazy. That term there, settled on his lees. That's a very interesting term. It's literally, it's got the idea that uh, when they were uh, working with the wine press, when they were pressing the grapes and they were preparing for that grape juice, there was a process that was involved. And if they let it set too long, if they did not continually work with that process, eventually the whole thing would spoil. Can I tell you, I've known some Christians over the years. They didn't go out drinking. 
They didn't go out and do drugs. They didn't go out and be immoral and they weren't out cussing and they weren't out swearing and they weren't doing all that. But they got out of church and they got away from God and it's all because they just got way, way too comfortable. They got to the point where they didn't need God anymore or so they thought. I kind of think these go hand in hand, pride and, and being lazy and don't do that. Learn from Moab. They were judged because of their pride and they were judged because of their laziness. Notice verse number 14. How say ye we are mighty and strong for the war? That's what they said. But guess what? They were judged by God. Look at verse number 26. Again, the pride of Moab. Make ye him drunken, for he magnified himself against the Lord. Moab also shall wallow in his vomit, and he also shall be in derision or in confusion. Boy, we see that God always judges pride. I think we need to be very careful because sometimes we get to a point where we think that God, now we'd never say this, but we get to a point where we think that God couldn't make it without us. I want to tell you how God was doing before we came around. He was doing just fine. Let me tell you how we were doing before he came around. We were sinners on our way to hell. As a matter of fact, you go back even before that, we were the dust of the ground. And if it weren't for God creating us, we wouldn't be here. And then he created us and then he redeemed us and he bought us back and he gave us life and, and eternal life and, and purpose and God gave us meaning. But let's be careful for pride. Guard against that pride. Verse number 42, the Bible says, and Moab shall be destroyed from being a people. Literally, they would be wiped off the earth because, here's why, verse 42, he hath magnified himself against the Lord. Oh, be so, so careful with pride. Look with me, if you would, Jeremiah chapter 49. Here we see the Ammonites. It's interesting, we, we know a lot about the Philistines from the Old Testament, but Moab and now Ammon, these were enemies of God's people that, that worked a lot of havoc on the nation of Israel. Well, if you have been doing the Bible reading for this year, you've read where Moab and Ammon came from. They came from the daughters of Lot who had a relationship with their own father. And I want to tell you, Moab and Ammon those boys grew up and those boys had nations that came from them and those nations were the enemies of God. They were the enemies of everything that was right and everything that represented God. Boy, how sad. How sad to see that those boys and the sin from Lot and his daughters and how uh, all these generations later, it was still going on. Chapter 49, we see the Ammonites concerning the Ammonites. Verse 1, thus saith the Lord, hath Israel no sons, hath he no heir? Why then doth their king inherit Gad and his people dwell in their cities? Verse number 4, we see that the Ammonites, much like the Moabites, they trusted in their treasures. Verse 4, wherefore glorious thou in the valleys, thy flowing valley, O backsliding daughter, that trusted in her treasures saying, who shall come unto me? I'm okay. I've got all this money. I've got all this treasure. Uh, we said it last week about the Moabites. 
But I want to tell you, I don't care if you have all the money in the world, that can be gone like that. Uh, that can be gone in the blink of an eye. That can be gone in a split second. And so don't trust your treasures. We said that already. Verse number 7 of chapter 49. Concerning Edom, thus saith the Lord of hosts, is wisdom no more in Teman? Is counsel perished from the prudent? Is their wisdom vanished? Here we see God's judgment on the Edomites. Well, the Edomites were the descendants of Esau. And here's what we know about the descendants of Esau and Edom. We know, first of all, that they had a very strong, uh, very fortified city, uh, the city of Petra. We talked about that in on Sunday a few weeks ago. But the Edomites were also known not just for their power, but they were known for their wisdom. They, they were very smart people. But you know what the Bible says in the New Testament? That you can get to the point where you are so smart up here that you become a fool. Professing themselves to be wise, Romans 1, 21, they became fools. And I want to tell you, I'm all for 100% for education. I don't believe that Christians should be ignorant people. I don't believe Christians should say, well, I don't need to, uh, to read and write, and I don't need to, to read books, and I don't need to study, and I don't need to do that. I don't believe that for a second. But here's what I also believe. I believe that Christians need to know this book. And I believe this book is supreme over every other book on the planet. If another book contradicts the Bible, I believe the Bible's right and that other book is wrong. I believe if there's a professor that stands up and he says something contrary to this book, then that professor is a liar and God's word is true. Be very careful that you don't allow education to get you to the point where you are smarter than God. Can I tell you how smart we are in our country? Can I tell you how smart we are in our world? We're so smart that now we've got it figured out that God didn't create the earth. We are all the result of a big bang. Can I tell you, it takes a lot more faith to believe the big bang theory than it does to believe Genesis 1-1. It takes a lot more faith to believe evolution. Now, uh, we, we came from, we came from a tadpole. And that tadpole over millions of years became a monkey. And that monkey over millions of years turned into a, 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 a man. And here we are today. And I got news for you. That ain't the way it happened, but that's the result of man saying we're smarter than God. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. We see the Edomites. Notice verse number 11. The Bible says, and this is again, it's judgment of Edom. But it says in verse 11, right in the middle of this passage, it says, leave thy fatherless children. I will preserve them alive. And let thy widows trust in me. Now, the lesson I want to give you, number eight, is God's concern for the poor. Now, this obviously, it says widows and fatherless, but I'm going to use the word poor. I think, I think we understand that God cares about the poor and God cares about the needy and specifically here, the fatherless and the widows. It's amazing to me that in the midst of battle, the judgment is on the Edomites and it's almost like God takes a, a, a parenthesis and it's not there, but it's almost like God puts a parenthesis in there and says, hey, I want to remind you, Israel, 
I want to remind you that I'm going to take care of your widows. And I'm going to take care of your fatherless. And uh, Edom is being destroyed and Edom is going through judgment. But I want to tell you, I still care about the poor and I still care about you. And I'm going to take care of you. It's interesting in the New Testament, in the book of James, when we see how God defines religion. He says, pure religion, real, genuine religion and undefiled is this to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Can I tell you, God cares about the fatherless, the orphans. God cares about the widows, and so should we. So, well, Pastor, what are we doing for those people? Well, I'll tell you one thing we're doing is every week we're running buses to try to bring in some boys and girls and try to reach some families with the gospel. I tell you what we're doing every week. We're sending out uh, 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 thousands of dollars to our missionaries around the globe uh, who in some cases have orphanages and who are helping the poor, but who are number one, giving them the gospel. Can I tell you, God is concerned about the poor. Uh, don't ever forget that except for the grace of God, we could have been born into a third world country. Except for the grace of God, we could be out on the street holding up a sign saying, uh, I, I, I need some food or need some money or whatever it is. It's all the grace of God. Verse number 16, still talking here about the uh, Edomites, thy terribleness hath deceived thee and the pride of thine heart, O thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock. Remember, that was the, the city of Petra that was so secure and it was so uh, fortified. They said, nobody is ever gonna get us. Though thou shouldest make thy nest as high as the eagle, God says, I will bring thee down from thence, saith the Lord. We see God's concern for the poor. Again, verse 16, we see God's judgment for their pride. Verse 18, they are likened to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 24, they are waxed feeble. Verse 29, fear is on every side. We see God's judgment is coming against a nation that thought they were too big for God, but God humbled them. It's interesting to me as we continue here looking at these lessons on the enemies of God's people. God destroyed the Philistines. God destroyed the Ammonites and the Moabites and God destroyed the Edomites. We're getting ready to look at the destruction of Babylon. It's amazing how God took care of all the enemies. He took care of them. and God took care of his people. But God destroyed the enemies, but God preserved his people. And you know how this whole thing's gonna end one of these days? God's going to judge his enemies and God's going to preserve his people. Aren't you glad for that? You say, well, how's that going to happen? Well, I'll tell you the first way it's going to happen, when the rapture takes place. Before the judgment of God comes, God's going to come and he's going to catch away his bride. He's going to come and he's going to take Christians out of this world before the judgment of the tribulation is poured out and the wrath of God comes. I'm glad that God is able to take care of his people. And if God can take care of the nation of Israel down through the ages, I got news for you. He can take care of you and he can take care of me. Let's look quickly at Jeremiah chapter 50. We see in verse number one, God's judgment against Babylon. Now, Babylon 
That's the nation that Jeremiah had prophesied that they would come and they would take Judah captive. And by the way, we're getting into chapter 52, which basically tells us how all that happened. So here, Babylon is coming to take Judah, but Jeremiah says, hey, uh, Judah, don't worry. I got news for you. You're going into Babylonian captivity, but God's still going to deal with Babylon. God's still going to punish them. In the book of Habakkuk, God revealed to Habakkuk that he was going to judge uh, the people of Judah from the Babylonians, and, and Habakkuk could not understand it. Habakkuk said, Lord, why would you use the wicked Babylonians, a heathen nation, to destroy your people? And of course, we know in that passage, God uh, proves to Habakkuk that his ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And he tells Habakkuk, he says, hey, you just trust me. I've got it all figured out. And here he reveals to Jeremiah how he is going to judge the Babylonians. Let's look quickly. Number nine, we see in Jeremiah 50 in verse number two, declare ye among the nations, publish and set up a standard, publish and conceal not, say, Babylon is taken, Bel is confounded, Merodach is broken in pieces, her idols are confounded, and her images are broken in pieces. Number nine, I'll just use this lesson to kind of sum that up, but I think the lesson we learn from the enemies of God's people is this, there is only one God, and there ain't nobody else. There's only one God. Now, obviously, Babylon had some idols. Babylon had some statues. They had some images, and God said they're all going to be broken in pieces. Well, who was in Babylon that we know? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And guess what? Daniel chapter 1 they said, hey, we're not going to eat the king's meat. I think probably it was because it was meat that had been offered to idols. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talked about how that was a stumbling block to many Christians because they would eat that meat that was offered to idols. But I do know this in Daniel chapter 3, there was a big idol. There was a big statue that was made of gold. It was 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, anybody doesn't bow down to this, you're getting thrown into a fiery furnace. Well, obviously, God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But you know what else God said? He said, hey, there's coming a day. I'm going to break down every single idol in Babylon. By the way, that 90-foot statue that Nebuchadnezzar set up, it's gone now. Nowhere to be found now. Because the judgment of God came upon Babylon and God promised that he would destroy their idols and their images. And Exodus chapter 20, thou shalt have no other gods before me. There is only one God. And I'm glad I know who that God is. I'm glad that that God is my father. That God lives in my heart. I'm glad I've been saved. And I know there's only one God. Notice with me, if you would, in uh, chapter 50, verse number 14, judgment on Babylon. Put yourselves in array against Babylon round about. All ye that bend the bow, shoot at her. Spare no arrows, for she hath sinned against the Lord. 
Shout against her round about. She hath given her hand. Her walls are fallen down. Her walls are thrown down. For it is the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance upon her. And notice the end of verse 15. As she hath done, do unto her. That is very interesting that God uses that terminology. We, we say that today as the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, here's what God says to Babylon. What she, Babylon, has done to everybody else, do the same thing to her. Here's what I see, the lesson. I believe number 10 is this, and this may sound, this may sound secular, but it's true. What goes around comes around. The Bible principle is this. You reap what you sow. And for Babylon, they were having a great old time as they were destroying nations and as they were torturing people and as they were taking captives. Well, guess what happened to Babylon? The same thing that they were doing to everybody else. The judgment of God came. You say, well, what does that have to do with us? Well, I just, I still believe if you will be kind to people, I think you're going to get some kindness back. It's not always going to be right away. It's not always going to be instant gratification, of course. But I know that there's somebody who's keeping score. I know there's somebody who's keeping record. And I want to tell you this. The Bible still says, let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I still believe it's good to tell the truth. I believe you tell the truth. I believe people are going to tell you the truth. Again, you say, well, so-and-so lied to me. I, exactly. But I'm glad I wasn't the one lying to them. I'm glad I was the one telling the truth. I'm glad I was the one being kind. Can I tell you this? I just believe you ought to do what's right. I just believe you ought to honor the Lord. I just believe you ought to go to church. I just believe you ought to read the Bible and pray and serve God. And I think you ought to sow as much as you can of righteousness. And the Bible says if you'll sow in righteousness, you're going to reap in mercy. Hallelujah for that. The lesson is what goes around comes around. Verse 15, it is the vengeance of the Lord as she hath done do unto her. I want you to notice verse number 24 of Jeremiah chapter 50. I have laid a snare for thee. And thou art also taken, O Babylon, thou wast not aware. Thou art found and also caught, because thou hast striven against the Lord. Number 11, I'll say this. Here's a lesson we can learn from the enemies of God. And that is this. Don't fight against God. You're not going to win that fight. You're not going to come out ahead when you fight against God. Don't fight against God. God's word. Don't fight against God's program. Notice with me in verse number 25. The Lord hath opened his armory and he hath brought forth the weapons of his indignation. For this is the work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. Now friends, I've seen some pretty incredible weapons in my life. But I can't imagine what it looks like when God opens up his armory. I can't imagine what it looks like when God shows his weapons collection. But I don't want to be on the receiving end of that. Let me tell you, I want to be on God's side. I don't want to fight against God. I want to fight with him. I want to fight for him. I want to fight against his enemies, not be the enemy fighting against him. Verse 27, their day has come, the time of their visitation. 
verse 28, vengeance, verse 29, recompense. We see in verse number 32, very quickly, here's another lesson. The Bible says, and this is again just a reference to God's people, but it says in verse 34, their Redeemer, capital R, their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He shall truly plead their cause that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. God reminds his people, he says, hey, Babylon's strong. I'm going to bring them down because don't you forget that your Redeemer, your God, the God of hosts, he is strong. Aren't you glad that God's power has not diminished? God's strength has not lessened. God is still the omnipotent, all-powerful God that he always has been and he always will be. And then one more, Jeremiah 51. Here's lessons from Babylon, the enemies of God. It says in verse number three, against him that bendeth, let the archer bend his bow, and against him that lifteth up his brigandine, and spare ye not her young men, destroy ye utterly all her host. Verse number four, thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans, and they that are thrust through in her streets. Babylon is going to be destroyed, and Nobody's going to be spared. It's going to be utterly all of her host, all of her armies will be destroyed. But notice verse 5. For Israel hath not been forsaken, nor Judah of his God, of the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. Now this is powerful. Because Babylon's going to be destroyed. God says they're going to be wiped out. But God reminds his people, he says, but I have not forsaken you, even though your land was filled with sin. Aren't you glad that God has promised us as his children? He has promised us he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. Even when we sin. Now, God will have to judge us. God will have to chasten us. God will have to punish us. God may have to remove his blessing. But can I tell you, God will never abandon you. He will never leave you. And he will never forsake you. And that reminder is given to Judah. While the prophecy is given that Babylon is going to be wiped out, God says, I'll never leave you. Israel hath not been forsaken, nor Judah, of his God. We see the end of chapter 51, verse number 25. God says, I am against thee to Babylon. Boy, I don't want God against me. It says in verse 56, the Lord God of recompenses shall surely requite judgment was coming for Babylon. Notice with me chapter uh, uh, 51, verse number 64. Thou shalt say, Thus shall Babylon sink and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her. And they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. God said, Babylon is going down. Babylon is going to sink and it is not coming back up. Aren't you glad that although God has 
promised he's going to judge the enemies. Aren't you glad that God has not forsaken us? And I'm glad this week. I know everybody may turn their back on me, but I know one person who never will because God has promised he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's promised that he will be with us always, even unto the end of the world. That doesn't just mean a geographical location. It means for all of time, God will never leave us. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.